take your Bibles with me. We're continuing our study in the Psalms, and we're coming to one of, uh, it may be one of your favorite Psalms, some of you. It is mine, Psalm 91. Turn to Psalm 91 together. Psalm 91 is, maybe some of you know this already, the Psalm is known as the Soldier's Psalm. And here's the background to that. The World War One in World War One, the soldiers of the 91st Brigade, key number there, 91st, 91st Psalm, the soldiers of the 91st Brigade cited the 91st Psalm daily. The brigade engaged in three of the war's bloodiest battles of World War One. Other units suffered up to 90% casualties, but the 91st Brigade did not some suffer one single combat-related death. They claimed this, these promises that we are going to read, and they went forward into battle believing God and trusting. And we heard about it by faith this morning. The faith, And you're going to see the psalmist speak of his faith and encouraging all of us, the readers, the singers of this psalm, to hold on to this, uh, this same kind of faith in the promises of God and hold on to who God is and what he promised he would do. Now, we don't know who wrote this psalm, so some guess it might have been David. It sounds like a psalm of David. But whoever was the writer of this psalm is speaking from experience. He is speaking uh, uh, after he's gone through the battles and he's come out victorious the other side. And so this is, this is the tone of this, this psalm as we read it, that he has found victory in the Lord through his trust in the Lord, and then he encourages the reader, you and I, to trust the Lord in the same way. Look with me now at verses 1 and 2. And by the way, uh, right before we read this, keep note as we go through the psalm of the, quote, he wills, then the you wills, and then the I wills. That's, you see that as the title of the sermon. The, look for the he wills, you will, and I will along the way. And this will personalize it for you. And look at verses 1 and 2. He begins, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord... My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, if you have a King James Version, it reads, the first verse reads, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The Hebrew word there for secret place or the shelter as New American Standard has it, shelter of the Most High, that basically the Hebrew word means a hiding place. 
How many of you remember when you were a kid, um, uh, the fun it was to play hide-and-seek, right? Some of you probably grandparents do it with your grandkids sometimes, right? Do you remember the times that you would, you would find the best place to hide? And you would run around the house, and you find that place or outside, and, and they didn't find you? And, and you felt so good because nobody could find you. And finally, they had to call your name. Come out, come out. We can't find you. And, 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 and you won that game. You know, the Christian, you and I, the believer, has a hiding place from the enemy. The enemy is seeking to devour us. Satan, our, the enemy of our souls, is seeking to devour you and devour me like a roaring lion. lion. And he's going out there and he has his schemes. But there is a hiding place where we need to dwell. And that's what the psalmist is talking about here. And he says, the one who dwells where? In the shelter of the Most High. That means as close to the Lord God as you can get in his presence, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now he's giving a metaphor of the shadow of God. When you were a kid, do you remember being with mom and dad? And uh, perhaps you were in, in a place that you kind of nervous, an unknown place, but they took you there and, and you stayed close to mom and dad. And you could, you could feel them right next to you. You were actually like, as it were, in their shadow. You were that close. The psalmist is trying to portray the one who desi- chooses, chooses and desires to be close to the Most High God. We choose to, ch- to walk closely with him. When we make that choice and draw close to the Holy of Holies, and we, we make that decision, something wonderful happens. We begin to feel and sense and know that the shadow of the Lord, God Almighty, is watching over us. And notice, he calls the Lord, he uses the title, the shadow of the Almighty, the all-powerful one, the God who will watch over you and me and bring us through whatever we have to, to face in our life, whatever battles are before us, we must go to this secret hiding place where the psalmist found, dwell, dwell closely there, and that it comes when I am seeking to walk in his ways, according to his word, walk in the word, obedience to the word, and I allow the Holy Spirit to control me, to fill me, and then I am in the closest place possible I know then that the Lord's shadow is over me and I am in the greatest place of protection I could find myself. And then verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That's a statement of faith right there. He's making the statement of faith. He's saying, I will say to the Lord. Notice he's not saying, I'm going to say to to others, he's saying, Lord, I want to tell you, Lord, that you are my fortress, that you are my refuge, and in you I will place my trust. You know, when we pray, 
it's so often we, we pray in such a way that we're just, Lord, I need help. I need this. I need that. And, and we, we call out desperately, and that's what he wants us to do. But oh, that we might be like the psalmist and come into his presence when, when we come before him in prayer, and that we might speak to him and tell the Lord where our confidence is. Tell the Lord in our prayer, Lord, you, as I come to you in faith right now in prayer, Lord, I want you to know in my heart that you are the one I'm trusting in. You are the God, my refuge, the Almighty One, and in you I will put my trust. The psalmist learned the secret here, how important that was. And notice there is an I will in verse 2. I will say to the Lord. It's a choice. It's a choice. And then we come now to verse 3 through 9. Let's read together 3 through 9. For it is he, God, who delivers you from the snare of the trapper. You may have the word fowler in your translation. And fowler means trapper or hunter. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper, and of course we know that's Satan, and from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions or his feathers, and under his wings you may seek refuge. Again, he's giving a metaphor of God's wings like a mother hen who protects her chicks. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, or the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you or come near to you. For you only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For only you will see the recompense of the wicked. Then verse 9. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High. He says it again, what he's saying in verse 1. Your dwelling place. For you have made the Lord your refuge. In other words, what he's saying, everything I have said from verse 3 now to, through verse 8. All these things that I don't need to be afraid of is because the psalmist has chosen to make the Lord his refuge and his dwelling place. Here are all these things. We see it right there. The Lord will deliver us from the snare of the enemy, from the deadly pestilence. Now, some translations have the word plague in there. Um, anybody recall a recent pestilence or disease that has been Rampant lately for a few years? Yes. What is it, Skylar? That's right. Thank you. It's, 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 run, it's run rampant. It has changed our life as we know it a few years ago when it first showed up on the scene. And the, the, the sudden onset of COVID, do you remember what it did? to you or to others, 
the fear that struck many hearts, it scared people so much that, that they couldn't think of anything else. And again, it was built up so much. It's a real thing. It took real lives. It's a sickness. But how easy it was and still is to live in fear of that disease, to live in fear of that plague. What if I get it? What then? And we can live that way throughout the rest of our life, living in fear, walking in fear because of what if. We live in the what ifs. And the psalmist is saying, don't live in the what ifs. But your confidence must be in the Lord. And when we make the Lord our refuge, and I know whom I have believed in, and have been persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day, I know that he will be my, my protection, my strength, my guide through whatever comes my way, whether it be pestilence, disease, or battle with the enemy, or, or other enemies, whatever it is, the Lord will see me through. I'm going to put, I choose to put my trust in him alone. Him alone. And all oh, that we might do that. This fear of pestilence and fear of so many things. Notice he says, uh, you know, the Lord's the one that's going to, verse 3, going to deliver us from the trapper and the pestilence. And he's going to cover us with, as it were, his wings where we find refuge. His faithfulness. God is faithful. That's our shield. And you will not. There's a you will. Okay, we saw an I will. Here's a you will. Verse 5, you will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by noonday. How many times have you gone to bed fearful? Maybe last night. You received the news. You received the news. It's happened in our family. My brother got the news a year ago that doctors, he was having troubles and went to the doctor Sorry, but you've got stage four bladder cancer and it's aggressive. And so they took out his bladder, his prostate, and they they had to. I I can't even tell you all the things they had to do for him. But now he's he's on chemo and then we'll be on radiation. And then beyond that, they're hoping to put him on immuno immune uh, therapy, I guess it's called. Right immune therapy and it's just a long haul and he's on a roller coaster up and down lost so much weight strength he lost his appetite but then it'll come back uh after uh the week of chemo subsides but then back to chemo and then appetite's gone again he's battling that and he and his wife had to come to grips with that and the first initial reaction is fear same with my sister then. Just a few months ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. A large mass they found. She is having, as many of you know, and you're praying for her. Thank you for your prayers for my family. Uh, but she will have her surgery on the 28th of this month. But there again, she was just taken back in shock. Why, why, Lord? And you have the questions, Lord, I don't understand why you allowed this in my life. And yet 
her confidence and my brother's confidence is completely in the Lord. Yes, fear can enter your heart, but it doesn't have to stay there. I don't have to live in fear so that it grips me in such a way that I'm afraid to do anything. And then I become incapacitated in the Lord's service and ministry for the Lord. Because fear will, will what, what will do? It will, it will stifle my faith and trust in the Lord. And that's all Satan wants. If Satan can get you and me to doubt God, and to be fearful of everything this world, this sinful world is throwing at us and the sin nature. If we live in that fear, then Satan's got a victory and we stop believing God. But the psalmist is trying to say that. Don't be afraid. Lord Craven, a Christian nobleman who was living in London in the 15th century when the Black Plague ravaged the city. In order to escape the spreading pestilence, Craven determined to leave the city for his country home, as many of his social standing did, his other friends. He ordered his coach and baggage made ready. And as he was walking down the halls of his home, about to enter the carriage to head out to the country, he overheard one of his servants say to another servant, I suppose by my Lord's quitting London to avoid the plague that his God lives in the country and not in the town. Listen to that again. The servant said, I suppose by my Lord's quitting London to avoid the plague that his God must live in the country and not in the town here. It was straightforward, but it struck Lord Craven in the heart so deeply that he canceled his journey to the country. And as he stopped and changed his plans, he said, my God lives everywhere and can preserve me in the town as well as the country. And his faith was restored and strengthened. He said, I will stay where I am. He stayed in London, and he helped those victims who did get the plague. And yet, he never caught the disease himself. God was using him to minister to others. And all because he conquered the fear, because he, he began to look at who God was, how great and powerful God is, and he is the God who watches over his people. Look back then with me, if you would, here. And then verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. No evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. Or the ass, uh, poisonous serpent. And the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Here he's talking again about how God watches over his people. He is watching over them and he sends his angels to take charge over you, to protect you 
and me in all your ways. He is the God that that watches over us day and night. And therefore, I need not fear. I need not fear. I want you to see a, uh, a man in the Old Testament that a king that lived with this kind of confidence in the Lord and trust. But then he also fell in a place of unbelief and self-confidence. And it was all due to fear. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Let's go to 2 Chronicles together, chapter 14. The king is King Asa of Judah. 2 Chronicles 14, and we'll pick it up at verse 8. Suddenly, Asa is suddenly faced with an enemy who came out of Ethiopia. Now look at the numbers and check out the odds. Those of you who are mathematicians can figure all this out. Verse 8. Now Asa had an army, and this is Israel, uh, Judah actually. Israel had an army of 3,000 from Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. Okay? Now here's the enemy, verse 9. Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marishah. A million-man army. It's two-to-one odds. There's no way. You look at a million-man army, and Asa looks out there and knows that there's a million out there, and he's got about 500,000, plus the, the army that he's facing has chariots. Anytime an ancient civilization had chariots, they usually won battles. That was, that was like having your nuclear, nuclear bomb or, or your big tanks or whatever if you had chariots. And you were almost guaranteed a victory. So Asa's looking at the odds. Here he is. And he's got the poor people of, of Israel under him. The Israelites that, that are looking out and it looks hopeless. And maybe that's where you are right now. You're looking at your situation and it sure looks hopeless. Your enemy, it might as well be a million man army against you. That's the way you feel. So what does Asa do? Well, verse 10. So Asa went out to meet him. And they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephath at Merishah. So he went out to face them. So... Does he go charging in and say, okay, guys, muster up your strength and courage. You know, believe in yourself. You know, you can do it. That's the message, isn't it, of the world? To trust in yourself, have confidence in yourself, your own strength, to, to be able to rise up and, and, and conquer anything that's before you and, and to have victory. 
But no, not Asa. He has the psalmist perspective, verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides thee to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we what? Trust in thee, and in thy name have come against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. What a statement in verse 11. This week, would you take verse 11 with you and make it your own? What does he first say? He calls on the Lord. Call upon the Lord in the day of trouble and he will answer you. And then he tells the Lord, Lord, there's no one beside you. He has no doubt that God is stronger than anything and there is no other God. And that there's no one besides the Lord who can come and help him in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. You are facing something that's powerful in your life. It may be sickness. It may be a broken home. It may be a lost marriage. It may be children wayward, a loss of a child, whatever it is. And you feel you can't go on. Call upon the name of the Lord, as Asa did here. Because you feel you have no strength, but the Lord will be your strength. The Lord wants to fight the battle for you, and he will. And so he calls on the Lord and says, So Lord, help us, O Lord our God. For here it is, we trust in thee. We don't trust in our spears, our chariots, our spears and our swords and everything else against this great enemy. No, we trust in thee, and we come to the enemy in thy name, and give us a victory. So what happens? Verse 12. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Here we see a picture of living out what the psalmist must have gone through, this writer of Psalm 91, that that. Asa, at this point in his life, his faith was strong and his eyes were fixed upon the Lord. He walked hand in hand with the Lord his God. But you know what can happen? We can be strong one day, and then what happens a few days later or down the road? Suddenly another enemy comes, and suddenly we get scared again. And suddenly fear ends, and, and we may not have the same strong faith that we did before. And that's exactly what happened to Asa here. Asa had the same situation. Turn to chapter 16. So here in 2 Chronicles, move over to chapter 16. Let's look at verses 1 through 9 quickly. 1 through 9. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel... Remember, this was, Israel was a divided kingdom. So there was Judah in the south and Benjamin and Israel, the ten tribes in the north. And they were enemies against each other. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. 
So here's another enemy, another battle. We won't see Asa this time calling out to the Lord and, and, and proclaiming his faith in the Lord. Look what he does, verse 2. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying this, verse 3. Let us, there be a, tw- uh, a treaty between you and me. As between my father and your father, behold, I have sent you gold and silver. Go, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he might withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to, the king, to king Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered. Verse 5, and it came about when Basha heard of it that he ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. Well, his trick work. But Asa went to human strength, another king, another army to help him instead of turning to God like he did earlier in his life. And so God confronts him about this and his lack of faith in verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because, and he's speaking on behalf of the Lord, because you have relied on the king of Aram and you have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the king of uh, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hands. And then look at verse 8. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army? He's talking about the battle that he had before. Asa called on God against that million man army. Were not the Ethiopians with their many chariots and soldiers? Weren't they an immense army? Yet because you relied on the Lord back then, he delivered, you in, he delivered them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord moved to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely suffer wars from now on. My friends, there is the downside of doubting God. Here, Asa didn't learn from the victory God had given him before. You will be leaving here today, and perhaps you had a victory last week, last month, last year, and you saw the Lord's victory in your life, and he brought you to where you are today. But now you are fearful. You're scared about what's next. The Lord wants you to turn back and put your eyes upon him. Turn back with me and let's conclude Psalm 91. So if you go back to Psalm 91, look at the last two verses. Verses 14 and 15. And here are some I wills, but these I wills are from God. Suddenly, the Lord is speaking through the psalmist as he puts these words down. And this is God's, God Almighty speaking to him and to you. Verse 14, because he has loved me, God speaking, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. 
I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. And let him behold my salvation. The I wills of God are right here before us. And God is saying to you, I will deliver you. I will protect you. I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you. I will honor you. With long life, I'll satisfy you, and I will show you my salvation. These are promises from God. Now, does that mean we'll never get sick? Does that mean we're never going to feel pain? Does that mean we're never going to die? No, of course not. These, these promises of God are for us to hold on to, but we know that it, it's all according to the will of God, isn't it? Remember the Lord Jesus in the garden, right? He said, Lord, take this cup from me. He was about to suffer the cross and take the sins of the world upon himself. And what did he say? He said, Father, if it be so, take this cup from me. I don't want this. He asked his father, take it away. I don't want to have to carry the sins of the world. Then he said, nevertheless, not what? My will, but thy will be done. That's how we ought to live our life. That I am holding on to God's promises and who he is. And I know he can do anything in my life. He can heal the cancer. He can take me through the other side. He can mend the relationship. He can bring a family back together again. He can give you another job when you exactly the time you need. He will take care of you, all your needs. But we must remember that through this, there will be suffering in this world. Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation and trouble. But be of good cheer. What? I have overcome the world. Dear Christian, would you take that with you this week? And reread Psalm 91 and realize what kind of God is watching over you and what kind of father you have in heaven. And he will see you through no matter what comes. Call upon him in the day of trouble and cling to his promises and tell God that he is your refuge and strength. And watch what God will do. Let's pray together. As we bow before the Lord this morning. Dear Christian, perhaps you came in this morning with much fear. You've been battling with fear and doubts. You wonder, God, what are you doing? Much like Job, perhaps you've lost much. And now you wonder, is God really there? Would you once again turn your eyes upon him and look upon the Lord and realize who he is, that he has his eye upon you and he will see you through and you are in the shadow of the Almighty. Will you commit this week to you and whatever situation is is bringing you down and, and hindering your faith? Would you now call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, you are my strength. You are my refuge. I trust in you. Come and fight my battle. Watch what the Lord will do, Christian.
If you're here without Christ this morning, you've never trusted him by faith, I invite you to know the Savior. Simply right where you are, you can open your heart and receive him by faith. If you understand that simple gospel, that Jesus Christ died for you on that cross, took the punishment for your sin, and by faith in him, you can have forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. Right now, you, would you receive him? Just pray this simple prayer with me right now. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead. Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, dear friend, you are now a child of God. You are born again. Welcome to the family. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your precious promises. Thank you for any decisions that have been made. And Father, I pray that we might stand and see the salvation of the Lord as we walk by faith. And we'll thank you for what you do and the victory you perform as we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.